Amen. Thank you so much, Kelly. It is well with my soul. How about you? Amen. May we all keep our eyes focused on the Lord above and free from the distractions of this world, and we too can say, it is well with my soul. It's a beautiful song, Kelly. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Lamentations. If you don't know where that is, go to the middle of the Old Testament around Psalms and take a right. Go past Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations is found right after Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3. So I'll start off asking the question, where is your hope? Where is your hope? What gives you hope in this world? What would be your answer? Is your hope found in the fact that everything will stay the same as it currently is, free from change, that nothing will will change the uh, status quo in your life? Does that give you hope? Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're You're longing for a change. You're hoping that everything will change for the better tomorrow or the next day or next week. Is your hope dependent at all on the circumstances of this world? Does it have anything to do with the conditions that you live in? Or does your hope transcend those very transient things? For the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, his hope was found in God. Specifically, he he found hope in God's faithfulness. And so let's read our text, Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness, loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. God's faithfulness gives us hope. We are to be comforted by his faithfulness and trust him and in it for every step that we take in this Christian life. Basically, his faithfulness is uh, something that means that he's true. He proves himself true. He will always prove true. He keeps his promises. He is trustworthy. Because of his unlimited power and capability, he can never commit himself to something in which he would eventually prove himself incapable. He never has to revise his promises or or renege on something that he's told us. And as I was dwelling on faithfulness this week, I was trying to come up with an illustration to help us have a better understanding of, of how this applies to our life. And I couldn't help but think of gravity. All right, so you have to stay with me. Um, gravity, that, that silent and invisible force that literally keeps us grounded. Did you know that the earth is rotating on its axis over 1,000 miles an hour? 1,000 miles an hour plus. And we are hurtling through space in the orbit around the sun at over 66,000 miles per hour, all right? Now, I don't know if you know we were going that fast, but we are, are speeding through fast and speeding through space. And obviously, that's, that's much faster than we would ever be able to travel here on Earth in some sort of vehicle or, 
or aircraft. Of course, we don't feel the speed because there's no acceleration, and therefore momentum is just carrying us without any effects, but we're going that fast. And all the while, gravity is keeping us on the ground, and we don't live in fear. There there is no fear of us suddenly uh, leaving this earth and being flung off into space. This is not a common anxiety for us because God has designed the system to be in perfect balance. The rotation of the earth is in perfect balance with our gravity here on earth, meaning that if it were to spin much faster, we might literally be flung off into space. But this is not a common fear. We don't go around holding on to things and and worry that the earth is suddenly going to start spinning out of control. Gravity is also holding us in orbit around the sun. If, if it's tweaked one way or the other, just a little bit, we might find ourselves drifting off into coldness of space as a planet. Or perhaps the opposite, we, we might find ourselves drifting towards the sun to our eventual destruction. And yet, we trust gravity. And, and gravity has proved itself to be trustworthy. It is faithful. At least in the thousands of years of human existence, we have no reason to doubt gravity. We trust it. Now, despite the fact of how fast we're spinning and moving, the world is not spinning out of control. And I understand that some of you may feel in your personal lives that your world is spinning out of control, but I assure you it's not because the same physics that controls the solar system control the aspects of your personal life. God is in control. And our lives do not spin out of his control. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. There's a new song that's being played on contemporary Christian radio, and it's written by a lady named Laura Story. I think many of you are familiar with it. It's called Blessings. If you've never heard this song, you're, you're definitely messing out. And uh, she wrote this song in the aftermath of her husband battling brain cancer. And uh, I just wanted to read uh, a few verses from this. It certainly speaks to the way that God uses suffering for good and the blessings and mercies that are found in the midst of the trouble that we have here on earth. She says, When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not, this is not our home. It's not our home. Later in the, in the song, towards the end, she says, What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst that this world can't satisfy? And what if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? It's a really great song, powerful and she can speak from experience. Well, John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You see how that's past tense? He didn't say that I will overcome the world or I hope to overcome the world. Someday I'll come in right at the right moment and overcome the world. No. He says, I have overcome the world. That means that no matter what you're going through, Right now, no matter what tribulation, suffering, heartache, 
depression, God has overcome it already. God knows the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Nothing takes God by surprise. He knows everything that has happened, everything that will happen. The day of your birth, the day of your departure from this world, whether by death or by rapture, has already been written before the foundation of the world. It's set. His purposes will not be thwarted. His promises will not go undone. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. God never changes. Think about that. He never, never changes. That means that he doesn't even exist in time as we know it. All right? He, he is the God in the past. He's the God in the present. He's the God in the future all at once. He exists in all places because he never changes. You're worried about the future? Well, I'm here to say that God is already there. He's waiting for you, and he's telling, telling you that he's got this, and he's already overcome it. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. James describes God as the Father of lights. In James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, which, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So again, it's speaking to how God does not change. Right, unlike a shadow that is going to be completely relative to its life source, it's going to shift and change and move over the, all over the place, God himself is the source of light, and therefore he never changes. So where do you find your sufficiency? Who is your rock? What is your rock? What is your hope? Is it found in yourself, self-reliance? Is it found in others? Do you depend on others? you depend on your family? Do you find sufficiency in your all in your family? Or what about the world? I know many people are clinging to the world and trying to find happiness and satisfaction in the world, and it's bankrupt. Even religion, apart from a relationship with Christ, is bankrupt. What happens when they are taken away? What happens when these things that we, we try to cling to and find our sufficiency in are gone forever. They're they're proved to be empty. What then? Those things change. They're transient. They're undependable, but God never changes. He is ever faithful. We need not to worry. When we cling too tightly to the things of this world, it creates a fear and anxiety in us that should not be a part of the Christian life. When we fear losing those things, that were never promised to us. We're not trusting in God's faithfulness. The Bible has much to say about this. It warns us about worry and fear and anxiety. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. That's a promise. 
we take these things and we lay them at the throne of grace where there truly is power. There's power in God. And we, we leave them there. We don't carry them away. There's no power in our fears and anxieties other than the power to, to burden us and, and to cripple us and to rob us of that peace that God promises. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Who of you, by being worried, who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? A few verses later, he says, Your heavenly Father knows what you need, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you hear that? Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. We don't worry about tomorrow. We, We take it one day at a time because we know who holds tomorrow. And it gives us confidence. The things you worry about today will seem insignificant a few hundred years from now. A few thousand years. 50,000 years from now, we will look back if we remember much of this life at all. And we will wonder why we were worried so much. Why did we stress over the little things? They'll seem completely insignificant. All that will matter is our relationship with the Lord. We worry about things that we have absolutely no control over. And the one who does have control and the one who has the power to change is on our side and he's, he's working out his plan that he's had from the very beginning. We must trust in the Lord, trust in his goodness, trust in his mercies, in his loving kindness, in his compassion, trust in his faithfulness. You see, Jeremiah didn't write these verses from a happy place. He wasn't sitting around thinking about how good God is and how great he had it and and wrote these verses. He was very much in the midst of a difficult season. The book of Lamentations is a lament, okay? He's the weeping prophet. He's writing this book of Lamentation in the midst of God's judgment on his people. He had been prophesying to his brethren about God's impending judgment over their sin. They did not heed the warning, and God was faithful to his promise. He told them what would happen, and now he was judging them for their sin. And here, Jeremiah is brokenhearted. All five chapters of this book are a lament in the midst of this very dark time as a nation. And it was very dark. The Babylonians had sacked Jerusalem, and... The Jews were exiled from their land. There was brutality, and there was murder. There was heartache. And this is the context in which we find this little bright spot in chapter 3. These these few verses that look very familiar to many of us, because we love the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But they're often pulled out of context, which robs the reader from appreciating their full meaning, and the weight of these verses. Jeremiah knew that this was not going to be good, but he had hope. Jeremiah's trust and his reliance and his sufficiency is found in God. And 
that understanding and knowledge and trust in God is what gives him hope. Now see, in verse 21 and verse 24, they bracket our text. And both verses mention hope. Hope brackets this little uh, couple of verses that we love to hear. And you see in verse 21 that he says, He recalls to my mind, therefore I have hope. And in verse 24, it's his soul saying that he has hope. It, it's this intellectual knowledge as well as his heart knowledge that he has, both. And our hope today, our hope is found in this same God. Our hope is not found in the things of this world, including financial stability, family, jobs, even the freedom that we have in this country. Our hope is found in the Lord. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So what do you cling to? And what if it's all taken away? What if your family is changed forever? What if you're unable to work again? What if you lose your job? And, or what if America falls and, and the religious freedom that we take for granted is gone forever? Well, you still have hope then. Our hope lies with God. It lies in eternal matters, the things that are unseen for now. Romans 8, verse 24 and 25. For in hope... We have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for that which he has already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. Our hope is, is not, like Bobby said this morning, it's not a, a hope-it-all-works-out type of hope. All right, It's a confident hope, knowing that God already has conquered. That's our hope. This is the place where G- Jeremiah was found. He found hope in remembering God's loving kindness, his mercy, and his faithfulness. Verse 22, we see Jeremiah's hope because of God's loving kindness, all right? This word loving kindness is taken from a Hebrew word that is uh, hesed. And it's used around 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's often translated loving kindness or kindness or steadfast love. It carries a weight of loyalty and faithfulness. It's often used in connection with covenants or agreements. Hesed means a, a covenantal love. It means a legal agreement that God makes with his people to cover them. We we are covered with his hesed, his loving kindness. Jeremiah knew, as should we, that that God loves us. And he covers his people in that no matter what we go through, it's ultimately for the good. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We also see that Jeremiah finds hope because of God's compassion. Compassion is a feeling of sympathy, but it's a feeling of sympathy that results in the desire to help. You can feel sorry for someone all day long, but until that results in a desire to help them, that's not compassion. And certainly God is a compassionate God. 
he's proved himself over and over and over, intervening on the behalf of his people throughout redemptive history. And certainly, it's no more clear display than in Jesus' earthly ministry and on the cross of Calvary. He stepped in on our behalf. Sometimes this word is translated mercy, but either way, it speaks to God's care for us. His love, his compassion, his help. Sometimes it it may seem as if God doesn't care. It may seem as though God is not aware of what we're going through, but we know that's not true. He's omniscient. He always knows, and he cares. His compassions never fail. In fact, Jeremiah goes on in the very next verse to say that they are renewed every day. Every day they're renewed. This reminds me of that story in the Old Testament. It's 2 Kings chapter 4, and it's dealing with Elisha and the, a widow woman who owed a debt. And the only thing that she had to pay the debt with was a jar of oil. And she asked for help, and, and Elisha tells her to go gather up all the jars of oil she can find. Talk to her neighbors, her family, all around the town. Gather as many jars as she can and to start pouring her oil out of this jar into these containers until they're full. And she fills every single one of them in the room. And when they're filled, the oil stops flowing. And I always have believed that if they kept bringing jars, that the oil would have kept pouring. I think the only thing that limited the amount of oil that was poured out of that jar was the amount of vessels that were ready to take the oil in. And so it's seemingly um, a never-ending supply of this. It's a source that is unlimited. The same way is with God's compassion and mercy. To us, it is renewed every day. Now, it's, it's infinite, but... We, we wake up every morning, and no matter how much has been poured out the day before, the next day there's an infinite supply, so it's as if it's renewed every day. No matter how dark the night, his mercy is renewed the next morning. Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Remember earlier when we read that Jesus said, today has enough trouble of its own? Well, I think uh, that this speaks to the same thing. At least we know that when tomorrow comes with its own trouble, that God's compassion and mercy are renewed, and they're there with full reserves to handle tomorrow. Next, Jeremiah finds hope because of God's faithfulness. He exclaims, great is thy faithfulness. Now, I already laid the groundwork for for this at at the beginning, so I simply want to connect the idea of his faithfulness with his loving kindness and him being trustworthy. They, They all work together. One of the reasons we can trust his faithfulness and have peace because of it is the fact that he is loving. If he wasn't loving or we weren't covered by his hesed, his loving kindness, then his faithfulness might be something to fear. For unbelievers, it is something to fear because he will be faithful in his promise of judgment. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. He never changes. He never fails. He 
He never ends. He's inexhaustible. He is trustworthy. He will keep his promises. For Jeremiah, he had promised Abraham to make him a father of a great nation. And here this nation was being judged right before his eyes. He had promised Moses that uh, he would, his people would be given the promised land. And he promised Joshua that he would establish them there. And yet now they're being ripped apart away from this promised land. He also said that through the prophets that uh, through David there would come one in his line that would reign forever. Prophets also said that God would not utterly destroy this people, but he would judge them for their sin. God is faithful. He's judged them, but he will not utterly destroy them. A faithful remnant would always remain, and ultimately they became a great nation again. For us, he gives us promises that we can live by. He's promised to forgive us if we confess our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to adopt us into his family. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to prepare a home for us and come again for us. He's promised eternal life to give us power. He's promised us rest. But it's rest for the soul, not necessarily rest for the body. That's what we have to remember. Eternal rest following a life that is often filled with heartache. He doesn't promise us health. Look at the story of Job. He doesn't promise us prosperity. Jesus Christ himself did not have a place to lay his head. He doesn't promise that our prayers will be answered, at least in the way that we think that we want them answered. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he prayed three times for God to remove, and effectively God said no because he said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is perfected in your weakness. God is faithful even when we are not. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Then in verse 24, Jeremiah says that the Lord is my portion. God is our portion. Portion is our inheritance, our, our share. It's what we have, our property. And, and God, for Jeremiah, God was his all. He needed nothing else. He was his complete portion. He was all-sufficient. Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 142, verse 5. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Is God your all? Is he all that you need? See, we don't use God for the things that we want or the things that we get. We get God, and that is enough. And whatever we do have is completely by his grace, and it's through his mercy, compassion, his loving kindness. God is all we need. God plus nothing is everything. And so we stand in adversities. We, we battle, we wage battle in this world when we are content with God alone and in his favor. Anxiety and fear and impatience, they're all systematic of clinging to the things of this world too much. We cling to God, and he never changes. He's faithful. Therefore, we 
do not have to worry. Our hope is in the Lord. We must be fully persuaded that God alone is sufficient for us. For all who are not satisfied with God alone are immediately seized with impatience and and anxiety. When famine oppresses them, when sword threatens them, disease, death, loss, or any other calamity. I have to remember what Paul said. He said, "If if God be for us, who can be against us? I am persuaded that neither famine, nor nakedness, nor sword, nor death, nor life can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. So I'm just going to wrap up really quick, share a few applications that I found uh, by Pastor Ray Pritchard. And he says, when you're discouraged, when you're discouraged, remember God's faithfulness. Study the promises in the Bible that, that God's already fulfilled and reflect on his mighty deeds. And understand that it is he who fights for you and on your side. When you doubt your salvation, remember God's faithfulness. I heard a quote once that said that not only does God keep his promises, but he keeps his people as well. It's by grace that you're saved, and it's the grace that you're kept by him. It's nothing that we've done. Contemplate the cross. Stand on that rock of ages. When you're tempted to sin, remember God's faithfulness. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And in 1 Corinthians 10.13, we read, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so in both cases, we see God's faithfulness tied to the temptations in life and the fact that God will give you strength to stand up against those attacks. He's faithful. When you, when you feel like you've made a mess of your life, remember God's faithfulness. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, like we said before. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we only confess. Don't turn away. Don't flee from the Lord. Because he will not turn away a broken and contrite heart. Ask for forgiveness. And when you feel completely unable to go on, remember God's faithfulness. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. All of us will face moments that seem to be unbearable, seem like we've reached our limit. And guess what? We have in most of those cases. But only when we reach our limit, we find that God is just beginning and he's completely sufficient. When we feel overwhelmed by circumstances or perhaps we feel like the world is caving in around us, what do we do then? We remember God's faithfulness and we press on. Press on with the hope that we have in God. Brother Bobby read this this morning, 1 Peter 1.13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our great hope is found in our faithful, merciful, compassionate, powerful, loving God. That's our great hope. And we'll hopefully see him very soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. 
We thank you for the fact that we could trust your promises. We thank you that you promised us that this life is not all there is, that it is only short, but a vapor in the grand scheme of things. We're thankful for the fact that you promised us eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ, a life in lieu of death, a death that we deserve because of our sin. But you took on death so that we may have life, and we rejoice in that. Your promise to hold us eternally by your grace is something that we can take refuge in and be secure in. Help us walk in that truth. Help us to live in the promises you've had, you've you've given us, uh, that aren't always evident in this life, but certainly will be abundant in the next. Lord, help us to share the same hope that we have through Christ with those around us. Help us to be faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.